Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Uh, today, Hamid, we're going to go through calcium and phosphate homeostasis, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. Um, so this is following on th- from our um, musculoskeletal talks. And I think before we get onto the bone yep. and bone pathologies, let's talk about calcium first. Yep. Um, and also we've had a request to, to focus on this topic, so which we'll, we'll dedicate a good portion of time to this topic. Yeah. Do you want to kick us off by maybe talking about calcium and, and a little bit of a characteristics of calcium in the body? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so calcium-wise, it's where do you find calcium, right? It can be it can be found in the blood, yep. but a lot of it is also stored. Yes, that's right. So yep. when you find it in the blood or the extracellular calcium outside the cells, mm-hmm. it can be found in two major forms, which I'm thinking of them as. Either they can be filterable yep. or they can be non-filterable. Yeah. And okay. do you know what I mean by a non-filterable calcium? I think I do. So uh, as, as a whole, um, I think about 50% of calcium is protein bound. So obviously if it's bound to a protein, yep. this ion can't be cleared by the kidneys, for example. Mm. Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. Whether well, it can be filtered by the kidneys. Exactly. Yep. And I think the mm. term for that is often denoted as biologically unavailable because it's bound to a protein, then it can't really be released for, mm-hmm. for the cells to use. Yep. But what do you mean by um, the filterable? Filterable calcium can be either in an animal ion form so yep. the calcium 2 plus and that's the one that's called biologically active yes but it also can be bound to let's say other um compounds as well so like calcium phosphate mm. or something like that yep. that that itself is a filterable calcium yeah but i from my knowledge is that's something that's not biologically active yet. yeah that's so right it has to be the calcium 2 plus that is active mm-hmm. but now that we're talking about it's whether the activity of calcium what exactly does that mean i think um yeah in terms of calcium activity as we mentioned before in our uh, msk talks yep. um, about how the muscles work we mentioned that calcium is important for muscle conduction both in skeletal smooth as well as kayak muscles yeah but it's also important for um second second messenger pathways clotting cascades uh, if you guys are not <laughs> sure have a listen to our um clotting cascade talks in hematology where we mentioned the role of calcium yeah does it play any other roles maybe in nerve conduction and things like that definitely and like you know if i think any sort of physiological um, textbook uh, if you flip to any section of mm. it you'll see that a lot of these messengers or these um things are triggered by the calcium yeah. so yeah so they're, they're very important and exactly so the body can't really screw up or uh, or take the calcium levels quite lightly they need to yeah. be tightly regulated and and it really is and i'm sure we'll talk about the regulation here in a moment mm. and you mentioned about phosphate i think it'd be remiss of us not to spend a little bit of time talking about phosphate as well because you know abnormal mm. levels of phosphate can be pathological as well particularly yeah. in chronic um, kidney disease yeah. can you mention like like what about like where is phosphate so calcium is mainly found in an extracellular environment bound to proteins yep is it the same for phosphate? Well, with phosphate, it's um, these guys are found mostly intracellular yeah. inside the cells. Yeah. And these, when you look inside the cells, you can find them as either buffers. They, they're found inside the cells and they can be found as buffers. And they can also be found extracellularly in urine as a buffer as well, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Normally, extracellular buffers are calcium, sorry, in uh, carbonates, right? Yes. But in the cells, but, uh, phosphates play an important role in terms of buffering. Yeah. And that's where it's predominantly found. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me where sort of, where do you, where do we get phosphate? Do we get it in our diet or is, uh, does our body produce phosphate? I think it, 
mainly as a food intake, is it? I think so, yeah. yeah? yeah. What kind of foods? So just like calcium, it's an easy way of remembering it. Dairy okay. products also can t- contain um, phosphate as well. Okay. So dairy is a big source of phosphate for our body. Cool. But what's interesting is that um, things like Coca-Cola and soft drinks can have high levels of phosphate as well. Huh. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah. in patients with kidney disease, they're actively discouraged from drinking too much you know, soft drinks for that very reason because of having too much phosphates in the body. Okay. Is it true that the regulation of phosphate is very tightly linked to calcium? So, you, you know, the... The, the things that we're going to talk about are possibly well, having the same they are, they are so tightly linked that it would... That's exactly the reason why today's talk is not just on calcium, but we have to actually bring up phosphate. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, I think initially it gets so complicated. We've got a way of, we've got an easy way of remembering it though. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's going to help our audience. Yeah. But it's also important to mention that phosphate excretion Mm. Usually in a healthy, in a homeostatic uh, state, yep. equals phosphate absorption. Okay. And so majority of excretion occurs by the kidneys and okay. also majority of absorption occurs by the kidneys as well. Uh, Do you think we need to expand? Absorption. Uh, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, reabsorption from when it's um, oh. passed through the urine. Kidney okay. reabsorbs about 80% of the phosphate. Uh-huh. Do you think we've got enough for now to then talk about a bit more about calcium, I think? Because that's really yep. the focus of our talk. Yep. All right. So we've mentioned about where we get phosphate and some of the homeostatic mechanisms very briefly. Let's talk about calcium balance now. I believe there are normally four stages that mm. are important for calcium homeostasis. That's really what was discussed in our lectures and yep. also what we've come across in our textbooks. Mm. So let's talk about stage one, which is sort of the exchange between extracellular fluid and intracellular fluid. How does that happen? What we're talking about right now is just the exchange between extracellular calcium, the the calcium when we measure serum calcium concentration, Mm -hmm. that's what we're measuring, the extracellular concentration, compared to a lot of the calcium that is stored intracellularly away from the blood test that we can see. That's right. And so, and this is... This exchange between the two, I think, is also very important in f- normal physiology mm-hmm. because where else is the cell going to get the calcium? Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to talk about how it gets into a, a cell yeah. from extracellularly. Um, it could be through a lot of the commonly talked about voltage-dependent calcium channels yeah. or uh, non-selective channels that, that the calcium just flows into a cell. Mm-hmm. Um, what other things could you find? So, yeah, I think majority of calcium enters the cell through these transporters. Yeah. Um, and majority of outflow is also by um, ATP-dependent transporters such as calcium ATPase or okay. calcium-sodium exchanges, which are, I think, really important for cardiac conduction as yes, well, which they're... we'll talk about in our cardiology talks. Yep. So let's say the calcium goes inside the cell. Yep. What, what happens to it? So they can be stored in a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, from some of the things we've covered just a few topics ago mm-hmm. there was the calcium inside like the smooth muscle cells yep. um the the sarcoplasmic reticulum mm-hmm. um but you've also got uh smooth endoplasmic reticulum where they can be stored yep. in uh mitochondria this thing called a calcicosome yeah um this I must admit i've never really came across it until until our what, lecture brought it up yeah, yeah it was mm-hmm. brought up in our lectures um, what else? It, they can also be found inside the cell as uh, either fixed or solu- soluble buffers. Mm-hmm. So these calcium binding proteins, they can um, they can uh, grab onto these calciums and yep. uh, and use them not only as a buffer but as um, but also as a storage. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's exchange between intracellular and extracellular fluid. The next one that we need to talk about is deposition and resorption, which is predominantly relating to bone. 
yes. isn't it? So we've, I think we mentioned in our previous talk about bone homeostasis where we talk about osteoblasts are important for deposition of calcium and mm-hmm. calcium phosphate into the bone. Yep. What about resorption? Can you remind the audience what is involved with that? Yeah. So if osteoblasts deposit bone, and then osteoclasts are the ones that are responsible for reabsorbing yep. bone. So they, they eat away at the bone and break down what it's made up of so the calcium and phosphate gets mm-hmm. released and um, you reabsorb it from from the bone and release the the minerals that yeah. were put into it yeah exactly um, so that's deposition and resorption and I guess the more important one is about the dietary uptake because yeah. we have to get the calcium in somehow mm. um, in yeah. order for it to actually be and, utilized and also before we go into that I think from from what I got out of one of the lectures was that the exchange between intracellular, extracellular, as well as this deposition and reabsorption in normal conditions, they, they kind of balance each mm. other out. So yeah. the main intake, not only for, uh, for calcium as well, is that you, you intake your calcium level from diet yep. and you excrete it from the kidneys. Yes. Whereas this deposition reabsorption into the bone is a plus or minus. They, they, they negate themselves out. So it's a net zero. Yeah. So it's uh, a homeostatic mechanism. Exactly. So let's talk about diet. So yep. I guess our calcium requirement really depends on our age as well. And okay. also, yep. obviously, if you're pregnant or lactating, your demands for calcium will be much higher. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned for phosphate, yep. um, dairy is also a big source of calcium as well. Yep. So when you ingest calcium-based products, about 40 to 50% of it is taken up in the proximal small bowel, predominantly duodenum, okay. then jejunum. Okay, yeah. um, now, this uptake is also dependent on a couple of important things, isn't it? So it depends mm-hmm. on, I guess, the pH. Okay. And this is important for a number of reasons. Could you just maybe um, elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, definitely. Because I think you're the one who just told me about it, was that with the pH um, environment can greatly depend, uh, so greatly affect the level of calcium yeah. that's available, which we'll go through a bit more in detail later on. But the relevance of it was, which I found very interesting, was that um, proton pump inhibitors or these antacids and yeah. other types of uh, drugs that alter the stomach pH environment are greatly pre- um prescribed and uh, used these days yes that this might affect the um a level of calcium absorption in a normal person yeah long term wise because i think yeah you need to have an acidic environment so your normal gastric ph to be able to absorb or to solubilize calcium carbonate which is a common formulation firstly tablets that people take mm-hmm. but also in, in the diet as well yeah and so if you can't solubilize it then you're not really it's bound up and you're not able to absorb it mm. is it true that tea and other things can so not only is it calcium that you intake but also other things that you take with your diet that might mm. be important for um absorption as well because i think just like iron if you mm. take tea tea can collect calcium and minimize its absorption as well so i, I didn't know that yeah so there's some some important things to be mindful yeah. of um whenever you guys are advising patients about taking calcium huh Cool. But what's actually the mechanism of absorption? So let's say you've released the calcium. How do you absorb it? Oh, now we're going to go into the transporters and all that. Oh, I love this stuff. So there's two ways that calcium can get absorbed. Yep. One is paracellularly, which means it just goes between the gaps of Mm. the duodenal cells. Um, And so they go into the interstitial fluid. Mm -hmm. And from that part, once they've passed the barrier, they will get absorbed into the blood vessels. But that's not the one that we want to talk about. That's not the main pathway, though, is it? uh... It's the transcellular pathway, how it actually goes through an actual um, intestinal cell that Mm. is most important. It's very cool. So we'll we'll go through the very first part. And um, where calcium goes through a calcium channel. Yep. 
and goes goes into the middle, so it gets ingested into the in the cell of yeah. the intestinal cell. But what happens after that? I think what happens is that this is where it gets really. I love this. Yeah, I, I really like these sort of things as well. Yeah. If you guys can find a nice diagram on um, on uh, Google or one of your textbooks, yep. it's a very common pathway. So once calcium goes inside the cell, it binds yep. to a particular protein called um, is it cow cow binding or something? Is it cow binding? Yeah, cow binding. That's yeah. right. And cow binding then attaches to calcium yeah and so what it's doing is that it may, it, it's making the inside of the cell much more favorable to calcium absorption or further calcium influx because the concentrations mm. have somewhat went artificially reduced so mm. it's driving the concentration into the cell the gradient yep. into the cell yeah and then eventually calbine and then releases this um, attached calcium and then mm. what happens how does it get into the apical yeah so now that it's gone past into the um, into the cell now we need to actually excrete it into the uh onto the other side yeah of the, the basal lateral basal lateral side. Yeah. side so that it can get absorbed into the blood and so these so this is the two main transporters that i i would probably go about memorizing mm. for an exam um so it would be the calcium atpas yep as well as the sodium calcium exchanger, so, or yeah. uh, some people abbreviate it as the NCX. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so it's through those two that the calcium gets pumped out of the cell into yeah. the bloodstream. But I think it's also mentioned that the calcium ATPase and the sodium calcium exchanger are the rate limiting steps in this whole calcium mm-hmm. absorption thing. Yeah, so you can have a massive influx of calcium, but if these exchanges if these pumps are not working to release the calcium back into the blood yep then the calcium just builds up inside the cells doesn't it yeah all right i don't want to go into some of the hormonal stuff yet i mm. think that's going to be our next um yep. next talk so mm. how is calcium actually then so now we've got a mechanism for absorption but you can't absorb this all the time is mm. there a way for us to lose calcium yeah and a lot of things are lost just um just like a lot how a lot of other um Things are lost, electrolytes are lost, they they all go through the kidneys. Mm, So a lot of calcium gets filtered into the kidneys and those calcium that does not get reabsorbed from the kidneys are excreted. So kidneys are the main excretion point. Uh, for calcium just like phosphate yeah and also but it's important to mention in a normal homeostatic um, environment yeah 98 of the calcium that's filtered out by the kidneys is reabsorbed so only oh. a very small so the body is really good at retaining yep. calcium mm. which makes sense because you need it for it's so important for so many functions within the body yeah but what's interesting is that the mechanism we told you about absorption is the same mechanism the body uses to reabsorb it in the kidney so if you learn one mechanism you've essentially have learned two things which is Great. really good um, now let's talk about calcium regulation okay and i guess we should mention a caveat of that involves phosphate regulation as well so we'll tackle them at the same time yeah now we should give a bit of a warning about short-term regulation shouldn't we mm. well this one was mentioned as um so we're talking about the effects of phosphate uh, the ph on calcium concentrations mm. and um uh, there's been a bit of a controversy with this I, I, I don't know personally myself, but, um, but yeah, so some people don't think it is uh, as applicable, but you know, we, we need to, I think it does make sense. So like how, how the pH level of the, um, of the blood or, you know, the body affects mm. the level of calcium. Yeah. So I think, look, I've done a little bit of reading and I can't really find a good explanation for this. I'm not sure whether this is more in the scientific domain or whether it's clinically, clinically relevant. Yep. But it was mentioned. Yeah. So I think we should just cover it, but just be cautioned that this 
may not necessarily be always applicable in a clinical situation. Okay. But I guess this all comes back to short-term regulation of calcium relates to pH, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. Should we go through what that Please means? Take yeah. it. Do you want to do you want to explain it a little bit, and and then yep. I'll fill in the gaps if we need to. Okay, great. So now we're talking about how an acidosis or an alkalosis, the high, so a low pH or a high pH affects calcium. Yeah. So calcium itself, it is, it can. We mentioned that it can be bound to proteins. Yeah, fifty percent of it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And in a low pH where there's lots of hydrogen ions, they can compete or they can displace these bound pro- calcium yeah and um so the calcium gets kicked off and the hydrogen instead gets attached onto yep. these proteins i don't uh, from my speculation it's it's just it seems to make sense to me that this is one way for the body to compensate for a acidosis or a low ph so that's sort of the buffers isn't it yeah, yeah. so it, it kicks off the calcium which it doesn't really need to at the at that immediate point in time to find some way to actually get rid of this abundance of hydrogen ions yes. available yeah so indirectly because of that your calcium levels actually go up sure because they get kicked off previously bound calcium gets kicked off and does that have because you know we mentioned that calcium is important for conduction and um, and contraction of muscles yes there's a particular formula that was alluded to in our lectures and it's called the georgi's formula okay where on the norm on the denominator you have calcium magnesium and proton at the bottom yep and in the nominator so at the top of the equation you have potassium bicarbonate and phosphate okay yeah so now so what happens is that as calcium concentration goes up according to this equation yep excitability goes down as well goes down so goes down yeah yep. so it's less likely for um the the cells so the muscles for example to contract and things like that so your muscles feel really rigid okay i don't know i'd like i'm not convinced Mm. about how applicable this is but I, we'll, we'll mention it anyway yep. so conversely if you, if you if someone has alkalosis what happens then yep so alkalosis the concentration of hydrogen ions are low yep. so that means that the the calcium can actually go ahead and bind onto these proteins so the availability of calcium uh, or uh, sorry the um, extracellular calcium um, actually goes down yeah it's lowered isn't it yeah which kind of, I mean, this is what makes me think there may be some truth in what's been mentioned. Because what happens is that if you're hyperventilating and you're offloading a lot of carbon dioxide, you're essentially becoming, uh, your blood is, blood pH is essentially increasing. So it's yes. becoming alkalosis. And I'm not sure if, you know, if people hyperventilate, they get really rigid muscles, which mm. may reflect the fact that there's low calcium available mm-hmm. to facilitate contraction. Mm. So maybe there is some truth in this, but yep. the long term is what we're really interested mm. in so let's quickly talk about long-term um uh, regulation of calcium yeah but before we talk about it, there's a special sensor in the body isn't there that detects calcium um, yep. do you want to maybe expand on that so the the one of the calcium sensors that was taught taught to us was this thing called the neuronal calcium sensors yep. ncs and these are a diverse group of proteins yeah. a lot of them um a lot of them actually have never heard of and i um We'll, we'll see whether if they mm. keep on popping up later on. But so there's ones called NCS1, hippocalcin. I don't think that's the important part of yeah. this talk. It's just that note that calcium is sensed by these specific sensors. That's right. And they, uh, they initiate a diverse intracellular signaling cascade. Yep. Yeah, um, exactly. Yep. Um, we won't talk too much about the intracellular cascade because there's just so many of these receptors. Let's talk about the broad concepts. Mm. So. Yep. The two, there's two really important hormones that we have to mention. One mm-hmm. is parathyroid yep. and one is calcitriol or vitamin, the active form of vitamin D. Yep. Let's start with parathyroid for now. Definitely. Um, do you want to maybe mention where parathyroid comes from? Yep. So is it a protein? 
Parathyroid hormone is a protein. Yep. It comes from the parathyroid gland, yep. which is near the thyroid on, on the neck. And it, it is released in response to low calcium levels. Yes. So from my understanding is that, um, so these, there are calcium sensors in the parathyroid gland, which constantly check on the level of calcium in the body. So when these calcium uh, sensors are activated by uh, binding to calcium, mm-hmm. they will inhibit the release of parathyroid. That's hormone. right. Yeah, that's but the moment that the calcium levels start to drop, then this in- negative, essentially it's a negative feedback yeah. loop, isn't it? Then the, um, then the parathyroid hormone will start to be released by chief cells from the parathyroid yeah. gland. Yeah, it's important to mention the chief cells as well because they're one of the important cell lines within the parathyroid gland. Yep. Now, there's a couple of target organs, aren't there, that parathyroid works on. The most obvious one is the bone. So it okay. goes into the bone and increases osteo, um, osteoclast activity. Yep. And osteoclast, as we mentioned, really causes resorption, so release of calcium into the extracellular fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also does stuff at the kidney as well. And it does a number of things in the kidney. Um, do you want to maybe mention what it does to vitamin D? So in the kidney-wise, so parathyroid hormone will go ahead and act causes um increases the activation of vitamin d into yep. its active form which we'll elaborate later on but also it has does two more things so in the bone what it so you mentioned that in the bone it increases osteoclast reabsorption so that means that both calcium levels and phosphate levels increase yeah from because they're extracted from the bone that's right but in the kidneys what it does is that it goes and inhibits phosphate reabsorption so a lot of this phosphate that was just reabsorbed from the bone is now um pissed out as urine yeah um and into the urine so you will get an increased phosphate excretion in the urine or a phosphoteuric uh, phosphoteuric i think i think that's how you yeah phosphoteuric um effect that's right yep and then what happens is that it also it also increases calcium reabsorption from the kidneys so Kid, so calcium is not excreted as much. So that way, the main actions of parathyroid hormone is to increase the overall calcium levels that's in the body, but decrease the level of yeah. phosphate level. Because I, I guess if you don't want to have too much calcium and phosphate circulating in the blood, because they can precipitate out of the solution as calcium and, phosphate, as calcium phosphate, and and you know drop, <coughs> deposit in arteries and cause stenosis, which is a problem with chronic renal disease, which yes. I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the renal block. Yeah. But that's that's an important factor. Yeah. And also an easy way to remember is parathyroid also affects vitamin D. So for example it affects um, increases reabsorption of calcium in the intestines by working on the vitamin d pathway mm. so that kind of brings us to vitamin d doesn't it mm. now vitamin d was a little bit confusing when i first started because i thought you know you have vitamin d and that's the active form but that's not actually true is it no because so, well i don't know like the common layman probably knows that vitamin d is that that vitamin that's produced by sunlight yeah but it's it's a bit more complicated than it that. is there's a few steps in between yeah so like you mentioned you need to have uv exposure and that changes seven um dihydrocholesterol um, mm-hmm. to pre-vitamin d in the skin okay and then it becomes cholecalciferol which is the ca- uh, the vitamin d that's often you know patients can buy from their pharmacy or get yep. over the counter yeah and then what happens in the liver something else needs to happen yes so it undergoes under the action of, I think it's 25 hydroxylase, it undergoes a change into yeah. uh, calcidiol. So it, is, it just adds on another hydroxyl group. Or a 25 um, hydroxycholecalciferol is yes. another name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that compound goes into the kidneys. Yep. And depending on the calcium level at the time, it can be either uh, 
changed into an inactive form called 2425-cholecalciferol. Cal, uh, or this is the key part, where if they detect that the calcium levels are low in the body, it's going to activate this thing called 1-alpha-hydroxylase, which will hydroxylase this uh, the, the previous form that was converted from the liver into 1-25-hydroxyl-cholecalciferol, uh, or for easy sakes, calcitriol. Mm. One way to mem- remember it for me is just that one, it goes from calcitriol, uh, so it, it just keeps on adding these hydroxyl groups. So calcitriol has yep. three hydroxyls on it. Exactly. And that's the active form of vitamin D. Yeah, and so that's that's a really potent form of vitamin D. Yeah. Um, and that, in Australia, you need a prescription to be able to get get this potent form, um, specifically mm. for renal disease. So we mentioned that parathyroid hormone can activate this, mm. the final form of vitamin D. Yeah. So once you have this vitamin D, there's a couple of things that happen. And one is referring to the intestine. So in the intestines, as we mentioned, it upregulates the the pro- proteins involved with absorption of calcium from the intestine. Yep. It also upregulates calcibindin, which um, makes the the cells appear as though they don't have enough calcium to drive the, um, the concentration gradient. Mm. And it also upregulates the pumps. Yes. Does it do anything else, Andy? So, yes. I think in the bone it does something as well. Yeah. So vitamin D, the main diff- uh, that was one of the differences between calcium, uh, Parathyroid hormone and, and vitamin D was that they work on the kid, uh, work on the intestines, as you mentioned. Yeah. But similarly to parathyroid hormone, these guys also increase the bone resorption from yes. um, calcium and phosphate bone resorption. They also go ahead and work on the kidneys as well. And what they do differently mm-hmm. to parathyroid hormone is that it increases both the resorption of calcium yeah. as well as phosphate. Whereas parathyroid only did the calcium, didn't it? Yes. And it actually caused the release of phosphate. So yes. that's the two distinguishing features that we need to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, does it do anything else? Uh, what else do you have in mind? I think that's so. It works on the stomach. It works in the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. Particularly the um, the duodenum. It yep. works in the kidneys. It works on the bone. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I think that that's about it. And mm. I think it. I, I have read in some texts was that it actually negatively inhibits. Or negatively, or decreases the release of parathyroid hormone okay. as well. Cool. But that's about it. Yep. There's a, a lot of interchange or, or commonality between what these two hormones do. Yep. Can you be deficient in vitamin D? Yeah, sure. Like if you, I guess if you don't go out in the sun, then yeah. then you don't have the in, in, initial uh, cal- cholecalciferol to yep. to begin with. So things like nursing home patients, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can also have a deficiency because of uh, reduced dietary intake yeah do you remember what was in what was it um, fish oil and things like that that have cholecalciferol mm, i think so yeah and mm. then meat i think you can have it salmon i think i watched yeah. a tv episode on um it was embarrassing bodies or something <laughs> anyways um yeah and uh also i think so if you have a re- reduced absorption or um i, I think the, one of the more important things is if you have a bad kidney that yeah. doesn't have the final activation step um, so of the, my chronic renal failure yeah right? of that one alpha hydroxylase yeah then then that definitely would uh, would reduce your active vitamin D levels great so let's finish up by mentioning I mean yeah we, I think we should mention it because it's not maybe not so such an important hormone but it still plays a role yep and that is calcitonin yeah but that's produced by the parafollicular or the C cells of the thyroid not okay. to be confused with the parathyroid gland. Oh. So it's produced by the thyroid yep. gland. And I think all that does is that it, um, its concentrations increase with calcium. So the higher the calcium concentrations, the higher the calcitonin. Mm-hmm. And it just inhibits bone reabsorption because mm-hmm. 
it's I guess it's a negative feedback to stop the bone getting reabsorbed too much. Yeah. Um, and it can be used therapeutically to treat hypercalcemia, which I think is not responsive to um, to bisphosphonates, which we'll talk about in a future episode. Yeah. Do you want to add anything else before we wrap up? Well, I think we covered quite a lot today. Um, I think uh, we can either, you know, we can either go through just a quick overview once again of yeah. like, of of the mechanisms, or otherwise we'll post up something. Yeah, I think we should post up because you know yeah. people would be sick of hearing our voice by now. Yeah. Um, I hope you found this useful. Um, uh, and if you have any questions or feedback, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you yeah. guys. Um, oh, oh, there is something I want to add. Is that okay? So we're going to post up like a um, I, I believe like a mind map or something. Yeah. That, a, yeah. a diagram of how these things work and um, a, a easy step of like you know this happens then that happens and that happens mm-hmm. what we have done is that we've we're going to add it onto our, our facebook as well as our website and we have a new feature on our website don't we yes that's right the new feature is that we can have you guys rate the article of or the the source that um the the thing that we post up yep and tell us whether if you find it help, helpful or not if, yeah if it is not helpful and a lot enough of you guys tell us that it's not helpful I guess that would mean that we have to go back and, uh, and fix change up. things up a bit. Yeah, and give us a feedback. It's mm. about using Facebook or our feedback page as well. Mm. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and we're going to start talking about some of the pathologies, which mm. is where my passion is. Um, Finally. Yeah, so yeah, tune in next time. We'll talk about some more, start talking about the pathology lectures now. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.